God's amazing, isn't he? Thank you, Lord. You're so good to us. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for all that you do, God. All that you are and all you have planned for us today. We submit ourselves to you, God. For your glory, for your purpose, for your kingdom. For it is in the name of the Lion of the tribe of Judah, that name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Lord, that we pray these things. Amen. Amen. So humbled and blessed to be with you. 17 years ago today, my wife and I um, moved here. Uh, actually, we were already here. We started officially as your pastor here in Tucson, Arizona. 17 years ago on July 1st was official day. This Sunday is an anniversary for us, a celebration as we start our 18th year here. Uh, we feel blessed and humbled, and it also feels like we've been here forever and not in a bad way. Uh, you know, in a very good way, we're humbled and blessed that God will allow us to serve Him and you in this capacity and to see everything that He's done as we sat together Friday morning having coffee together, Kim and I, talking about all that God has done and all that He is and how much we have changed. And man, I don't want to be the same ever, but I'm so humbled and blessed that He would ever not only invite me into a relationship with Him, but to think that He could ever use me for any purpose, His purposes just overwhelmingly amazing. He's so good, man. He is so good. So blessed and so humbled to be with you. Excited for what's ahead and what he is going to do with us. Because God has stuff planned for us still. You know that, right? He's not done. No way is he done. And God is up to something right now. No matter what you're hearing out there, no matter what anybody's saying or thinking, God's still God, and He is doing something, and I am like, I couldn't be happier. I couldn't. I'm like so excited about the potential of what's happening in our world around us, because when everything starts to fall apart, we finally get a grip on what reality is, and reality is there's a God, and we need Him. And so we have this incredible opportunity, church, for the world around us to see who He is, when we're all calm and trusting him in the midst of their chaos, relax. Trust God. He's got you. All right. So I'm not using this chair for anything. I just asked Eric to set it there for me. That's in case you get distracted. I just want you to know there's no reason for you to pay attention to the chair. It's funny how we do that, isn't it? <laughs> Should I move it into the darkness? <clears throat> when Mike first brought this out, uh, you know, when I was in St. Louis, Pastor Mike spoke, right? And he brought the chair out. I'd never seen him preach before. I was watching online. And so when I was watching, I was like, oh man, is he one of those guys that sits in a chair and talks to everybody? <laughs> I was like, well, God, you're up to something because that would definitely be different for this group of people. And... <laughs> And the camera person wouldn't know what to do with themselves because, you know, they're constantly chasing me for what they've, I mean that in a good way, they've, they've got a wider lens now and you don't have to, you know, be like jerking around all the time. But I was like watching that and I'm like, I can't wait to see what he's going to do. But of course he didn't sit in it. He didn't. He just kind of used it as an illustration. And, uh, and I was glad because I have a hard time listening to people that sit in stools. Me, I have a hard time with that. Um, so I don't know if you'd rather have somebody sit in a stool and talk to you, but I'm just going to sit here and talk to you for a minute and see how it goes, okay? I, 
<laughs> trying to get the words out while I'm sitting here. <laughs> it's like one of those little generators on a bike, you know? The only way it works is when it's moving. <laughs> the light goes out when it stops. Anyway, we're still here, I want you to know. And we are humbled and blessed, and that lasted a long time. I <laughs> I may need that in a minute. We'll see what's happening. It's been a long 17 years. I'm just telling you right now. Last Sunday when we started the service, you know, we, we talked about the fact that we believe that God's word is God's word. The Bible is God's word to us, and it is the authority of life. Church, if we don't recognize the authority of Scripture, and we think that we can do things our own way outside of Scripture, there are no boundaries any longer. Right? There's only a way, the only way that you can have, like, you have to have structure, man. You have to have rules and laws. The same thing with our nation, right? There's boundaries, there's laws. That's what gives us freedom. <laughs> See, freedom doesn't mean you can just do anything and go anywhere you want and do whatever you want. Freedom also has boundaries. But when you live within the boundaries of freedom, you experience freedom and you know what it is. If you don't live in freedom, you don't understand it at all. You've got to live within the boundaries of freedom to get it. Okay? Goes to marriage. Married to my wife. There's boundaries. And you know, if you're married, if you've been married, a lot of times those boundaries get, uh, you're reminded of them. <laughs> yep, some of you are married. I got <laughs> right? I mean, seriously, you have to be reminded of them because you made a commitment. And that commitment you made was a lifelong commitment, and it had the boundaries that you agreed to. No one forced you to. You're the one that said, I do. You didn't say, I might. Right? Come on. Therefore, you are held accountable because you said, I do. And you didn't say, if you do, I do. Did you? I didn't do your service if you did. You know, I mean, I would never agree to someone coming into a marriage ceremony and say, well, I will if they will. I'm not going to do that. Because, see, you're making a commitment. And your commitment is to that person and this understanding is that they're making that commitment back to you we're all there right so we're all in this so here's we are we don't want to like get lost and everybody start freaking out like wait a minute i didn't sign up for that yeah you did all right and this is what it's all about so when we step into the relationship with jesus i want you to know there's boundaries but there's freedom and you won't understand the freedom until you're in that relationship with him but in that relationship with him there's still boundaries and church, we are going to be held accountable, those of us that are in relationship with him, because God does not only have boundaries for us, he has expectations for us. We looked in Revelation 20 last week and read the fact that of the, judge, the judgment that's going to happen, and it's, God's going to judge everyone, believer and non-believer. When we come into a service and we're trying to, um, you know, put God's message forward, you know, there's a lot of things that go outside of that and you can't cover it all, you know. So we're, we're doing something that God's asked us to do and then it creates some curiosity, questions, convictions, and fears in people. 
which is awesome. I'm glad that people were scared after I preached last Sunday. I'm glad people were uncomfortable. I'm glad people had questions. I am. That means you're listening. And you're like, whoa, what about this? What about that? Is this what that means? Is this great? I'm glad you do. Because if you have questions, then you're going to want an answer. And the place that you're going to find the answer is always in God's Word. And so as we look at this again, I want us to start here because when this Word of God goes forward, we in the church need to understand it because the world's never going to get it unless we get it. And if we get it, we can live it and share it with others. So revisiting those verses, Revelation 20, verses 11 through 15, because the judgment will be different for Christians and non-Christians, but there is a judgment. And I think the church has failed in the respect of not talking about the fact that we as Christians are going to be held accountable by God. You know, we've just like, we kind of think about salvation and the free pass to heaven, and all we're going to do is go to Peter at the gate, which I'm not sure why we have this idea, but we're just going to go to Peter, and he's going to be like, you're in, go ahead. Right? I mean, have you ever heard people say that? And it's like you're just going into heaven, and you got it all going on. But that's not what God's Word teaches us. See, Peter's not going to tell you if you're in or out. All God do is look in God's Word. Revelation 20, read it last week. Listen, and I saw a great... By the way, this is John the Apostle, and he has given this vision by Jesus, and he was given this vision to write it down for you and I. So please hear this. This is a letter from Jesus to us saying, this is what's going to happen. Be aware. And I saw a great white throne and the one sitting on it. The earth and the sky fled from his presence, but they found no place to hide. You can't hide on God. There's no place to hide. Listen to it, church. I don't think Peter's sitting there. This is what it says, the great white throne and he who sat upon it. This is God we're talking about. I saw the dead, both great and small, standing before God's throne. And the books were opened, including the book of life. We emphasized this last week, right? There's books, God's library, and there's a book. There's the book of life, and then the books of our life. Hear what he says. And the dead were judged according to what they had done as recorded in the books. So we're not talking about the book of life because that was separated already. Right? So he's talking about the books, plural. The sea gave up its dead, and death and the grave gave up their dead, and all were judged according to their deeds. Then death and the grave were thrown into the lake of fire. This lake of fire is the second death. And anyone whose name was not found recorded in the book of life was thrown to the lake of fire. Just pause for a second. You get it? See what's happening right here? This is the great white throne. Everybody's there. We have the books open for life and what we've done. There's all of the records of the life and the, and the selfishness of people, their sins, then who they are. Now, don't, don't get stuck there. And he looks in the book of life. And he's like, you, 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 you're, you're over there. You, you, you're over there. 
So God says, these I know, these I don't. This is what's going on. It's right here in front of us, right? So again, if you'll notice, this is the thing where this judgment at the throne happens. It happens where there's the separation of those who are yes with Jesus and no with Jesus. And so in this moment now, we have the casting off of those into eternal damnation, and it is for eternity, and it is hell and fire forever. The believer and the non-believer are standing there giving account in this moment. We know that God's word teaches us when we're forgiven, God remembers our sins against us no more, right? We do know that, right? <laughs> All right, there's Psalm 103.12, Isaiah 43.25, Jeremiah 31.34, Hebrews 8.12, Hebrews 10.17, 1 John 1.9. These are places in scripture where God says that he doesn't remember our sins against us any longer. So when you got your name written in the Lamb's book of life, God expunged the records of the books. The story of your life was erased. The life and story that you were writing, because you were your own God, those stories got expunged from the library. Thank you, Jesus. Man, church... I am like so blessed about this when I think about it. It's like, it's so cool that God just ripped it out, put it through the shredder and said, that doesn't exist. Now God gets a new book out and he says, now this is the name that I'm gonna give him. David is dead. <laughs> David the self is dead. David the child of God is alive and now I have a new book and a new story for him. And God takes the, the, his pen and begins to write my story. My story is written as I live out his plan. God has a plan for our life. That plan does not come into fruition and reality until we surrender to him and we give him the authority to write the story. When God begins to write the story, things are different. Aren't they, church? They're so different so grateful that God shredded those pages of my past and he will not hold that against me so when I stand before God on that day on the white throne judgment where we're all standing there facing the great I am <laughs> in that moment he's going to see Jesus when he looks at me and he's going to put me over on the right side but he's not done with me yet so as we look at this and we, we see what God's talking about, he's still writing a story. Like the story doesn't end with my name in the book. Remember, we're all standing there. God is still going to do something with my life. It's not like it's just in that moment, my name's in one book and then I just, just don't cease to exist in any other capacity. Now my story actually begins. And this is what God is trying to say to us today. We need to understand the responsibilities that we have to allow God to write his story through our life. And that requires you and I to surrender to him. Have you accepted Jesus Christ as your savior? In Matthew 24, 
Jesus is about to do something that is very different for Jesus in his teaching. See, if you follow along in the Gospels and you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and they record the, uh, the ministry life of Jesus on earth as the Messiah, you'll see him teaching people in real basic truths of life realities for them, right? He talks about things like shepherding because there was a lot of shepherds around. Um, being of, um, of uh, working a vineyard because they had vineyards. He talks about their marriages and their weddings and their ceremonies. He talks about stuff that they had in their real lives. And so what he does in that is he's teaching them what God's word says in real life application, right? So he's telling stories, but the stories are based on the biblical truth of what God actually said, because the church had been telling people what God said, and they were wrong. So here we are in this moment where Jesus has been talking about some things, and now all of a sudden we come to this moment where Jesus knows he's coming to the end here, and he turns from his normal kind of teaching aspect, and he takes a a really strong turn. They're coming out of the temple, or they're, they're right by the temple anyway. I don't remember where they were physically coming out of, but I believe it was Peter, and he's usually the one that talks. And again, I said that in the last service. I should have looked that up between. I think it was Peter. He's usually the one talking. Uh, Peter says, Lord, look at this temple. Isn't it amazing? You see, church, when we stop for just a second, what Peter was looking at, when you were raised Jewish, the temple had such incredible significance to you because, see, it was God's house, literally. It was a place that God said, I will put my name there. I will be there. You will be my people, and the whole world will know that you are mine. So it was a place where God had said, if they pray here, I will hear. Remember, we read those scriptures. So the temple was a very significant place, and that's why it was so beautiful. It was adorned in all the riches that they could, they could candle it that day, right? It was made beautifully. And so the Jews were very proud of that temple because of who it was about. And so Peter's like, like one of us, he's just like, God, Jesus, check that out. Is that amazing or what? And Jesus is like, it's going to be destroyed, Peter. Isn't that crazy? I mean, you just think if you're in that conversation, you're just like all emotional and feeling amazed about how beautiful that is. And he's like, it's going to fall. It's going to get crushed. It's going to be annihilated and destroyed. Don't you think the disciples were like, uh, <laughs> what's happening? Because, you know, they had already experienced that in their history where the temple had been destroyed once. Remember back when Nebuchadnezzar came in? Destroyed all of that. God restored them through a prophet's, Jeremiah's message of hope and restoration, and they rebuilt the temple. And now it had been added onto, and now it was just glorious and beautiful. And Jesus is like, nah, it's coming down. Now, Jesus begins this prophetic message. And Jesus is letting us know, and he's letting the disciples know about the future their future, our history. In Matthew 24, he says, it's going to happen, and when it happens, it's going to be bad. When this place gets overrun, 
if it wasn't for the mercy of God, there would be no survivors. It's going to be horrific in that day. Now we, today, look back in history and we know that about 35 years later, the Romans would come in and absolutely devastate and destroy and annihilate the temple, Jerusalem, and the people. Josephus records in the history of that day how devastating it was, how horrific it was, and how the bodies mounded up as those came to try and protect the temple were just slaughtered and massacred and that the Romans just walked on top of body after body as they were mounding, slaying people. Horrific, just like Jesus said. And the reason why he said it was going to happen, they'd rejected who he was. See, there's, there's always boundaries and rules with God, and we have to do it his way. And when his people said, nope, we're not accepting that way. We're going to do it this way. And they were still doing it in his name, but not his way. Can't work. And it didn't. And God's judgment fell. So when you read Matthew 24, verses 1 through 22, you'll see Jesus talking about that very thing that we know took place just like he said it would. Church, it's important for you and I to understand that these things happened exactly like Jesus said they would because Jesus then moves on from there. And he turns into a future prophetic message, one that is still in your and my future. And as he's teaching, he's telling them, now this is what's happening, now this is what's happened, this is what's going to happen. And so when you do that, you read in Matthew 24, verse 37, when the Son of Man returns. Now, do you hear what just happened? Jesus is talking about their future when that thing is going to be destroyed and all that. Now he says, when the Son of Man returns. So Jesus is talking about when he comes back again. So now we know we're looking at a prophetic message for the future. It will be like it was in Noah's day. In those days before the flood, the people were enjoying banquets and parties and weddings right up to the time Noah entered his boat. People didn't realize what was coming to happen until the flood came and swept them all away. That is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Before I read any more, I look at this text, and when I look at this and it's saying this, like, it's going to be in a moment we don't expect. And Jesus is letting us know that things are going to be happening like normal in life. It's going to be normal. Are you hearing me, church? He's saying, like, life will be normal. Things will be just happening like they've always happened. And all of a sudden, things are going to change. So in all the craziness of this world and all the prophetic messages we are hearing and all the people stepping up and saying, it's the end, it's the end, it's the end. Not, I'm not making light of that. Please stay with me. I find humor in the fact that the prophetic people who speak about it being the end don't expect Jesus today. Nobody does. Nobody got up today and thought today's the day Jesus is coming back. We didn't. 
even if we believe that all the signs are there and the evidence is there that he's coming back, even if we think it's got to be right now, it's coming soon, we still didn't believe it was today. If the people who know the truth, I'm talking about knowing what God says, know that Jesus is coming back, do you know how many of those people are doing other things today? Not, I'm not taking headcount on church. Hear me right. I'm saying that the people that know that Jesus is coming back and believe it soon, and if they even had a hint or thought that it would be today, they'd be in church today no matter what they had going on. Right? I mean, we would. Come on. Are you kidding me? You think we'd be down? I'm, again, I'm not making fun of this. I'm saying I'm about to be careful I always say this, but you think we'd be down at the lake having a barbecue if we thought Jesus was coming back today? Nobody would. I'm not telling you don't have a barbecue or go to the lake. That's not the point. All right, I'm not judging those that are there. More power to them. Great, whatever. All I'm saying is we all know what he says. We all think it's going to happen, but we don't think it's going to happen today. And most of us don't even think it's going to happen this week, month, or year. But it's going to happen. <laughs> It's crazy, man. It is so crazy how we are. Even those that are just passionate about the fact that we're in it. All I'm going to say is this, and I'll leave it alone and we'll move on. If we really believed that Jesus was coming back so soon, today, this week, this month, this year even, who would we not be sharing Jesus with right now? Would we not want to offend our family or friends with the gospel message? <laughs> we should be sharing Jesus. He's coming. That's going to happen when we least expect it. In uh, 1988, when we, some of you weren't even alive then, but in 1988, somebody, well, before 1988, somebody wrote a little pamphlet that said 88 reasons why Jesus is coming back in 88. And I can't believe how many people bought that thing. How stupid are we? right? I mean, he didn't. I don't know if you know that or not, but he didn't. <laughs> but, but when I saw one of those things, and people were talking about it at my work, I was working a secular job as well as pastor at the time, and I'm like, dude, I don't expect him to come back at all in 88 now. There ain't no way. I know I got a free pass this year. He is not coming back in 88. Now, January 1st of 89, maybe, but not in 88. He ain't happening. All right, so it's funny, it's because that author, you know, rewrote it. Did you know that? 89 reasons, it was 89, we made a mistake. It didn't sell it. I'm being honest, that happened. We're just crazy. Right, that's all I'm going to say, but let's move on. That is why it will be, that is the way it will be when the Son of Man comes. Two men will be working together in the field. One will be taking the other left. Remember, life as usual. It's going to happen when you're at the job. Two women will be grinding flour at the mill. One will be taking the other left. So you too must keep watch for you don't know what day your Lord is coming. Understand this. If a homeowner knew exactly when a burglar was coming, he would keep watch and not permit his house to be broken into. You also must be ready all the time for the Son of Man will come when least. This is Jesus, everybody. A faithful, sensible servant is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. 
If the master returns and finds that servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant is evil and thinks, my master won't be back for a while? And he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk. The master will return unexpected and unannounced, and he will cut the servant to pieces and assign him a place with the what? Remember who we're talking about here? The one who knew who the master was, knew who gave him the responsibility to do what he was supposed to do, who made the choice to begin to do his own thing instead of the master's thing. And the word of God says that he'll be given a place with the hypocrites, those who say one thing and do another. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where is that place, church? Once again, we hear Jesus teaching. In the contrast of those who are living for God and those who are living for self. He's even referencing those who once lived for him, but then began to live for self, right? I mean, I'm not making this up. I'm not trying to teach a theology. I'm saying, let's look at what Jesus is telling us. Jesus is saying, when you're in relationship with me and we have this thing going on, you understand that everything about you, everything you own is mine. And I will hold you accountable for what you do with everything I've given you. He's giving us a clue, church. The very breath we breathe is his. Everything that we have is his. Everything that we own is his. Every penny we make is his. Everything is his. Our kids are his. Our grandkids are his. Everything is his. We know that. And now he says, I'm going to hold you accountable for what you do with what I've given you. Here's the judgment we're talking about and what God's talking about. God is going to judge us according to what we do with what he's given. This isn't the great white throne judgment. It's not heaven or hell. It can be. He already made that point. But he's going to hold us accountable for what we do with what he's given. And if we take what he's given and start living for me instead of him, we're going to be given a place with the hypocrites. But if we do what he's asked, we're going to be blessed. And he's going to give more. So we go on into Matthew 25 and we see this because Jesus continues with this thought process and this is what he says. Then the kingdom of heaven will be like 10 bridesmaids who took their lamps and went to meet the bridegroom. So when we see this, Jesus is talking about when he comes back, right? He's giving us a real life, real cultural understanding of what he's talking about. So he's giving us another glimpse of a picture of the fact that he's coming and we don't know when. So when we look at the cultural understanding of their weddings, you see like there was an agreement made. There's going to be a wedding that takes place between this guy and this woman. They both know they're getting married. They know the day's coming, but there's no date set like we do. It's an event, and it's a planned event, but they don't know when. Now the groom, he goes over there to get some things ready for when he's going to take his little bride home, and he's doing stuff. And they didn't have cell phones or social media or nothing. 
so it's not like they were following each other and liking everything that was going on. They were doing their own thing in their own places. So the bridesmaids are over here like preparing a party. They're making the cake. They're getting all the decorations together. They got the DJ set up. They got the dance floor and everything. And he's over here getting the house ready and stuff. I'm giving you modern ideas into what God's saying to us in the word of God. The fact of the matter is they didn't know when he was coming. So they were always ready. Now Jesus tells us this because when you look into that scripture and you see what he's saying, he said there were 10 of them and when they came, five prepared themselves. They brought their lamp, because it could be at night too. And then they had like a five-gallon bucket of oil with them to go with them in case it was longer than they expected. And then there was these five that were just like, yeah, just got to bring my lamp. I don't want to carry that thing. I don't want to bother with it. And they were unprepared. And the word of God, as Jesus is teaching, says this, that as they came together and the cry went out, the bridegroom's coming. The five that were over here, their lamp was fading out and whew, no light left. And they were talking to the others that had the extra who were refilling their lamps. Hey, can you give us some of that? No, nope. got to have your own. Not being selfish. It's like we're prepared and we need to be ready. He didn't say he's here. They said he's coming, right? So there was this, I'm not exactly sure the moment, but I know he's coming. There ain't no way I'm letting go of this because I want to make sure that I'm ready. So these five run back to town to see if they could find a Circle K open. <laughs> Running back because they got to buy some more oil, right? That's what he tells us. So what happens? This is the word of God. But while they were gone to buy oil, the bridegroom came. Then those who were ready went in with him to the marriage feast, and what? The door was locked. What happens, church? It's happening. It's not like a window of mercy or grace. It's like when God says, boom, it's over. Later, when the other five bridesmaids returned, they stood outside calling, Lord, Lord, open the door for us. Please let me in. But he called back. Leave me. I'll know you. So you too must keep watch. For you do not know the day or hour of my return. Man, Jesus is making a point here. He's like, look, man, it's going to happen. You're not going to expect it. He's already said that. This is the third time. It's going to happen in a moment that you do not expect it to happen. Bam. You better be ready. That's what he's telling us, right? You better be ready. Well, the crazy thing is Jesus jumps right into another story. Guys, are we hearing this? I mean, look how many times he's saying the same thing over and over again. We jump right into it. Matthew 25. Jesus comes right back to him and says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven can be illustrated by the story of a man going on a long trip. He called together his servants. Please hear it. He called together his servants. He didn't call the whole community his. And he entrusted his money to them while he was gone. He gave five bags of silver to one, 
two bags of silver to another, and one bag of silver to the last, dividing it in proportion to their abilities. And he left on his trip. So before we go on, and we're going to go on, but I'm just going to stop there for a second and notice that see what he did was he already knew the talents and gifts each of them possessed. And he gave them accordingly. All right? So quit whining with what you got. Just do something with it. I'll say it again. Quit whining with what you've got. Do something with it. Because God gives us according to our abilities. And if you're whining about not having enough, maybe you're not doing what you're supposed to with what you got. Just a thought. Let's go on with the story because listen to what he says. He addresses this very thing. He gave them according to their abilities and he left on a trip. The servant who received the five bags of silver began to invest the money and earned five more. The servant with two bags of silver also went to work and earned two more. But the servant who received the one bag of silver dug a hole in the ground and hid the master's money. After a long time, their master returned from his trip and called them to give an account of how they had used his money. This is Jesus talking, remember, calling his servants, saying, everything that you have is mine. And I'm going to hold you accountable with what you've done, with what I own. The servant to whom he had entrusted five bags of silver came forward and with five more and said, Master, you gave me five bags of silver to invest. I've earned five more. The master was full of praise. Well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling this small amount. So now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Right? So, I mean, right now, church, I'm just saying, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you're whining about what you have or don't have, shut up and start doing something with what you got. And then when you prove yourself faithful, God may give you more. And it'll be a celebration from him. Just saying. The servant who had received the two bags of silver came forward and said, Master, you gave me two bags of silver to invest and I've earned two more. The master said, well done, my good and faithful servant. You have been faithful in handling these small amounts, so now I will give you many more responsibilities. Let's celebrate together. Church, did you notice something? The master celebrated and praised the same way for the five and the two. Why? Because they were faithful with what he asked, and they worked according to their abilities. He did not hold the guy that was given two to the same standard as the five. He celebrated with them the same. Why? Because they'd actually done something with what he gave. <laughs> In an equal amount. Don't miss that. He didn't say, well done, now you're going to join the five. No, he didn't. He just said, well done, we're going to celebrate now. Way to go. <sighs> then the servant with one bag of silver came and said, Master, I knew you were a harsh man. Harvesting crops where you didn't plant, gathering crops where you didn't cultivate. I was afraid. I was afraid I would lose your money. So I hid it in the earth. Look, here's your money back. But the master replied, you wicked and lazy servant. If you knew I harvested crops that I didn't plant, gathered crops I didn't cultivate, why didn't you deposit my money in the bank? At least I could have got some interest on it. Then he ordered, take the money from his, this servant and give it to the one with ten bags of silver. 
It's an interesting statement. It's like, hey, God, why are you not giving it to the guy, the two over there? Because he's only got four and he's got ten. Well, he's saying, like, I'm going to reward the one that does the most with what I got. Right? God's not, like, all about this social idea of everybody being equal. (laughs) Who would you give your money to? Who would you give your money to? Who would you give your stuff to? The one that does it. If I tell you, hey, I'm an investor, you should give me all your funds. If I'm telling you that, Dave, wouldn't you really want to know what I do with money before you handed anything over to me? I would. And if everybody here said, well, I'm an investor, I'm an investor, I'm going to see who's actually got a track record of doing something, and I'm going to probably go with that person. Just a thought. Like, well, what do you think God's doing? God's doing the exact same thing. He's like, yeah, man, you've been faithful. Let me give you a little more. Man, you're being faithful. Let me give you a little more. Uh, you know, I'm not sure you can handle that. <laughs> All right, let's move on. To those who use well what they are given, even more will be given. This is Jesus talking. Even more will be given. And they will have an abundance. But from those who do nothing, even what little they have will be taken away. Now throw this useless servant out into darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Where's that again? So those who do nothing with what they've been given will not be rewarded. The boundaries of the relationship with God. What kept this guy from doing anything? He speaks out of his own mouth. Fear. I was afraid. I did nothing. I look at that and I'm like, man, it's so crazy, church. As we listen to God's word, how often that we hear how fear can cripple us, what fear can do. There's a lot of people in the church today, a lot of people in Christian community that have allowed fear to keep them from doing what God has asked them to do. We just are so scared to have to step up and to do it that we just step back and bury it. And he's like, "Uh uh-uh, that's not the way it works. I want to challenge you today. Everybody in this room, you are all called to ministry. God put you together in your mother's womb. When he gave you new life in Christ, he has a story that he is writing in your life and through your life, but it requires us surrendering to him, going past the human fear element and stepping by faith into the fullness of what God has for us and not allowing fear to cripple us and step back and not do what he's asked. It is time that we embrace what God has said to us and understand that everything that I am, everything that I have, everything that I have influence over is all about Him and for Him, and I've got to live my life accordingly. God expects that of us, church. Jesus is telling us, man, this is what it is. For some reason, man, the church, the leaders, the pastors, teachers, we've screwed up. And we've like emphasized this fact of once you're saved, your name's written in the Lamb's book of life. And it's like, woo! Like meeting Peter at the gate and go on in. Church, it's the beginning of a relationship. It's the beginning of a story. It's where God begins to work finally in our lives, where we can do something of significance for the kingdom of heaven, where God himself can make an impact through us right here on this planet. That's what God's trying to do. That's why he redeemed us. That's what he's called us into. 
this relationship with him that he has expectations for. Jesus is letting us know he has expectations for us. We have screwed it up. The church pastors, teachers have screwed it up. We've like owned that responsibility and just said show up at church on Sunday. No church, it's not about that. We're supposed to show up at church on Sunday, but we're supposed to minister the gospel of Jesus Christ everywhere that we go, every place we have influence. We are missionaries in this world, and God has called you to be a light in that place, and he's going to hold you responsible for what you do there. God wants to write an amazing story at your work, at your school, in your community. God wants to write a story through you right there that has eternal implications man that's what God's all about God has expectations for his children there is no doubt and the word of God tells us this the devil tries to get us fearful why do you think that this man there's so much stuff here like listen I'm gonna just try and keep myself composed here and just say that our nation has turned its back on God that's not a revelation we all know that and so what has come forth there's this voice saying you can't talk about Jesus anywhere right i mean that's what's out there no the threat is if you share jesus you're going to lose your job you're going to lose this you're going to have this kind of reputation you're going to do this you can't say that you can't right and god has called us to be missionaries in this place as we continue in this teaching of jesus and we go forward jesus continues to teach about the end and as we do, we see assimilation, uh, a similarity from Revelation 20 here into Matthew 25, 31 through 46. But when the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, He will sit upon His glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered in His presence. He will separate the people as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will place the sheep at His right hand and the goats at the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by the Father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you fed me. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. Then the righteous one will reply, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or a stranger and show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing when did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you and the king will say i tell you the truth when you did it for one of the least of these my brothers and sisters you are doing it to me you see what i'm saying church listen to what jesus is telling us he's saying you in your circle of influence where god has placed you you have met the needs of those around you you have served me faithfully right there. You've made a difference. You've impacted those lives. And Jesus says, this is what it's all about. Not about you. You have seen that it's not about me. You have seen that it's about those around me. Right? I mean, I'm not just trying to read into some. Jesus is letting us know this. The ones that are making it are the ones that have given themselves to the purpose of God, which is others. Then the king will turn to those on the left and say, Away with you, you cursed ones, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. 
I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they would cry, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? And he will answer, I will tell you the truth. When you refuse to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you're refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into eternal life. Eternity is real. Heaven or hell is real. How we live matters. What we do and who we live for matters. It's not just who we say we live for. It's who we live for. God knows. He's calling us, church. He's calling us to understand that our lives are His story. The things that we have in our hands are His things. And He wants us to use them all for His glory and for His purpose. And we will give an account. And it really doesn't matter what we say we know, what we say we have, but actually what we do with who He is. That's what matters. In Matthew 21, I'm sorry, Matthew 7, 21 through 23, I'm going to wrap it up here. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. Many will say, Lord, Lord. See, people that say they know who he is, remember in the stories that Jesus is giving, the people that he's talking about know who he is. They do. They know who he is. They know that what they're doing and what they have is his. Church, it's crazy, man, as we listen to this. Jesus is letting us know there's people that are doing things in his name that miracles are actually happening in his name and they're not making it to heaven. Now, if that doesn't freak you out a little bit, it should. It should, church. The reality of it is Jesus is saying like, hey, do you have that relationship in your heart that you know that you know that you are walking with God, that God's the one writing the story, that you are being obedient in your life? Church, this is why he's telling us all this because he's like, hey, I know and I'm gonna hold you accountable. Your performance isn't what it's about. It's your heart. So the performance has to happen through the heart. If it's just a performance, God already knows. So it's pretty clear as I read God's word that it's, you know, how we live matters. What we're doing matters. But our heart's what truly matters. Because we can fake out people and we can perform, but it doesn't mean anything. Because God knows. So here we are. We're in that moment of truth. Have you accepted Christ as your Savior? If you haven't, it starts there. God can give you a brand new story. I love that. I love the fact that He can erase the old and make things new. And He wants to do that for you. But if He has, and if you accepted Jesus as your Savior, what has changed in your life to show that you have started a new life? I mean, seriously, what has changed? Is there evidence that a new story is being written? It should be obvious, all right? I mean, once the pages were ripped out and the story started new, 
It's like now God's writing this story and there's gotta be a difference, right? I mean, it's, there's gotta be. So if there's not evidence that your story has changed in some capacity, maybe you should revisit the author. <laughs> and maybe you should make sure that he has control of the pen and not you. Because it's all about him. And it's not about me. What are you doing to impact the kingdom of heaven? I mean, if it's his story and he's writing it, shouldn't it have some kind of eternal value? Because that's what he's talking about to us. He's saying it's going to impact the kingdom. If something's got to happen there. Therefore, church, if something in our life is not impacting the kingdom, let's revisit that. Let's ask God how we can change that in our life for his glory and for his purpose that what I do will impact the kingdom of heaven. So because you impact the kingdom of heaven at church, that's great, and I'm not making light of that. But are you impacting the kingdom of heaven on your job, at your school, at your store, at your coffee shop? You know what I mean? Let's, let's live it that way. Let's be that kind of church. He's calling us. Let's get over here. Let's get out of here, all right? The altar's always open. just want to invite you, if you feel like an, a spirit of God calling you, I mean, to know him, to surrender to him, maybe, maybe, maybe you just recently took the pen and started writing your own version. <laughs> and you maybe need to surrender that. Let's do it. Stand with me. Altar's always open. Father, we love you. We're so humbled, God. It's not too late, God. We have today. There's still opportunity for you to write the story, not only of our, ourselves, but of our nation, of your church. Please, God, have mercy. Have mercy, Lord. Even as we're here right now, God, we just... Thank you for the new chapter opportunity. <laughs> Thank you, God. I'm not going to wrestle you for the pen. We're going to surrender. Have your way. God, write your story. clear you're welcome to go god bless you thanks for being here today thank god for the freedoms we enjoy share jesus with everyone you can god bless you church thank you for being here thank you for allowing me to be your pastor love you god bless you today